0: You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 6pm on March 12th, 2023, presented by Reverend Bill Medley. And um, you can take your glass of water back with your false teeth in it as well, if you like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But thank you. Um, We're going to read uh, the Word of God, and then we'll pray, and before we come to it, let's uh, Our text is John chapter 13, verse 31 to 38. And uh, we'll read this text before praying. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Amen. This is the word of God. We're going to pray. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we, we do just thank you that you speak to us through your word you're a speaking god and you speak through your holy spirit inspiring this word and into our hearts by your spirit to help us understand it so be with us now and and come upon us each one that we might worship together uh, preacher included around this word and understand more of your will for us in jesus name amen This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, saying, I'm about to die. This is Jesus giving his here, and we'll read it again from verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. So what Jesus is doing here? is he's about to give his final deathbed wish or command to his disciples. So we hold a lot on to a death wish, don't we? someone is on their deathbed, they have a final request. Well, what's Jesus' final request? He tells us in the next verse 34, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. <clears throat> so we ask, what's new about this? Hasn't he already been speaking about love for his ministry all the way through? He's been telling his disciples, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. That's love everyone. Then he, he says so far as to say, love your enemies. So doesn't that cover it about, you know, what, what what's new? When he says, I've got a new command. Well, the newness is this. Verse 33 starts with my children and then he says, love one another. That is, love fellow Christians. So that's something new in the sense that a lot of people think we are all naturally children of God. Well, we're not. We're naturally creatures of God. God created us. How does that make as his children, and then with the fall, we're not only uh, creatures, but fallen creatures who declared war on God and said, "I don't want you ruling over me." So, in that sense, uh, Romans five ten, we became enemies of God. So, how can we go from being enemies to friends? Well, this is the sovereign mercy of our great God, who who sends His Son to go to that cross to take our sin away and take away that which stopped us from being in relationship to our creator. We had rebelled, we were separate, and now we are restored from enemies to friends, but God doesn't stop there. Then he adopts us as his children. Something extraordinary. John chapter 1, verse 12, right at the beginning of this gospel. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not that we were all automatically children of God, but through faith in Jesus and what he's done, we are adopted. We become part of the very family. If you're a believer tonight, you are part of the family of God. You are part, you're one of his children. Now, we're still to love everyone, our neighbour, and even our enemy, but this is something special. This is Jesus saying, now I've really got something special for you. Just as you love your own biological family in a special way, you're to have a special love for the family of God. And that's where uh, the centrality of the church and the life of the church for the believer is such that the unbeliever can't understand, can't grasp it. They think that, you know, you're just going to church to earn your brownie points or, or whatever. But uh, the church is actually something we'll learn into thinking in terms of we, we our Western individualistic idea. We think that the, uh, you know, Jesus saved me and it's about just me, but actually, uh, Ephesians 5.25 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And we could trace it way back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you've got God bringing together a people for himself, saving a people to be gathered together. Let my people go so they can go and gather together to worship me and on into the New Testament, the centrality of the church, Christ giving himself up for the church. <clears throat> so, how could you say that you love Christians, fellow Christians, if you don't regularly meet with them and be part, actively part of the church? It's a little bit like saying, you know, I, a husband or a wife says, you know, I really. I love my wife. I love my wife. But but do I have to live with her? You know, I have to meet with her. You know, know, it's crazy, right? It's just as crazy to call yourself a Christian, take seriously this last command of Jesus, and say, I love Christians, but I'm not meeting with them. People who say, I have a private faith, they might have a private faith, but they haven't got the Christian faith. Because Jesus gave one last command, to love one another, to be part of the people of God. And that's why uh, we don't go with the uh, popular thing of separating our services into young people and old people and kids' church and one style of music for this lot and one for that lot. We're a family. Got to put up with each other. <laughs> That's what Jesus purchased for himself when he died on the cross. And as we try to seek to carry out your will, be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's going on in heaven? It's the people of God are gathered together, perfect fellowship. And how do we emulate that on earth when we can't all the whole church is scattered all over the world? We try to emulate it by being part. Actively of a local church But love of course goes a whole lot further than just attending church services and meetings if You can say today. I love my fellow Christians That ask you how how do you love them? Uh, one of the real hallmarks of practical love in a church is when people as a pastor, I visit people and this people have already contacted that person, been there, prayed with them and, and texted them or called them or whatever. And that's, that's practical love within the body of Christ, being there for others, especially those who are not uh, the ones who are the most popular or easy to get along with or whatever, perhaps isolated. Uh, and of course, it it is part of real Christian love community. Have you ever heard anyone say? Maybe you've even said this one yourself. You know, sometimes I find it easier to love non Christians than I do Christians. I've heard people say that sometimes, and there's a good reason for saying that. It's because This last command of Jesus to love one another, there's someone who hates the idea and wants to destroy it and works harder to destroy it among Christian people. Because it's Jesus' final deathbed command to his disciples, Satan works overtime to try and cause division, difficulty within the Christian Church but there's another reason why you can sometimes find it easier to get along with non-Christians than Christians it's because they just don't know you yet and you don't know them because when you get to really know people that's when the rubber hits the road that's what real love it's easy to love people in a you know superficial kind of way but to really serve and work together like in the church, you really get to know. It's like everybody in your family knows your faults and your worst things. And if we want to just keep it superficial, here's where we've got to give credit to the Roman Catholics. Now, we don't often give them credit, so I'm going to give them some credit here, right? Huh? Roman Catholics got this covered. You come to church after the service, shake hands, peace be with you, see you later. That's it. Peace be with you. And I'm over here. And we'll keep... As long as you keep that distance, don't get too close into people's lives, then it's easy. This this love thing is easy. But it's hard if you're really going to connect with people and really be in their lives and be there for them through the difficulties. Now, if Jesus has already given us this whole love thing before about loving your neighbour and love your enemies and all these. Does he really need to be underlining a final command just to say love again and he loved the Christians? Well, yes, he does because he knew it was going to be hard. Family love is tough. And we need to check ourselves. If you think about how you speak to, but also speak about fellow Christians. You know, when you might have even a legitimate reason to say something that's truthful, but with what tone? With what, Is it with a critical spirit? Is it with love? You know, the uh, uh, people arguing over... You look at any church; you've got people arguing over secondary issues instead of being determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. the The pandemic was a, a great uh, test for the Christian church, and we failed. People were arguing; people were we were, were getting upset with each other. We failed. We failed this this final command. If you have something that you need to say that's critical to someone, tremble in the way you say it. Tremble because you're speaking to or about someone bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And secondly, what did did Jesus say? Whatever you did to the least of these of mine, you did it to me. You're actually talking about Jesus that way. You're talking to Jesus that way. Yes, we have to stand up for truth. And as a pastor, and Chris will echo this, that as a pastor, there are times where we're actually commanded in Scripture to refute false teaching, to speak critically of false things and so on, that's that's part of what we're commanded to do. But woe to me if I don't do it with love. In fact, speaking the truth is not the end by itself. What does Ephesians 4 verse 15 say? Instead, speaking the truth in love, even when you do need to speak strong truth. We need to think, how many people have ever really been won over with harsh, sharp words? In fact, it's a good test. If you really think about people you've debated, argued with, disagreed with, even sharply, would, would, if I was to ask that person right now, if you can think of someone, I was to ask them, would they say, yes, we've disagreed, yes, we've had fierce debate, but I have to say he or she always still loved me and showed Christian love even while we were disagreeing. some of the things if you google this it's, it'd be amusing if it wasn't i said some of the things that christian churches have split over you know and it's usually music styles or but it can be the color of the carpet or the walls or you know some of the crazy things what what what's wrong here what's wrong here is forgetting jesus dying last command because if you're going to carry it out you're going to have to miss out on something you're going to have to actually not get what you want sometimes for the sake of loving others. It ain't all about me. So, at a minister's conference, uh, retired minister Peter Brain is um, saying how one of his parishioners once said to him, Why are Christians so mean? And I thought, that's a horrible thing to say. Who would ever characterise Christians as mean? But some of us have experienced those who name the name of Christ who have been mean to us or mean to others, and it hurts. How do you manage to love in that situation? And that's the last part of the verse where Jesus says in verse 34, a new command... I give you so there's something new here what's new love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another this is the new this is the unique aspect this is not in scripture anywhere before the cross you can find in the Old Testament the origin of love your neighbor as yourself Leviticus you can find that the command the love, but this kind of love cannot be anywhere else before the cross. And Jesus, though he's not yet gone to the cross, is looking forward to that when he says, as I have loved you. And they would, John was certainly reflecting on that as he wrote this down. He knew all of what Jesus meant by as I have loved you. Because that makes this totally new. That makes this very unique. That, that makes this so different than the world's definition of love. Because the world's definition of love is I love those that, that love me and I love those who, who not necessarily love me because I love my kids because they're my kids and I, I love, uh, in fact, some unbelievers can even be very generous, uh, give money to the, to the poor, uh, care and love for the unfortunate, take pity on them. But it still all comes back to how I feel. Christian love is different. I was talking to a guy who's now a minister, but when he was a young bloke and newly converted, he said to me one day, you know, how do I do this love thing? He said, you know, my sister, how do I love my sister? when I can't stand her? She's a pain in the neck. How how am I supposed to love? You telling me I should put on an act, you know, pretend to love? That would be phony, wouldn't it? I said, how did Jesus love you when he got up on that cross? Was he looking down at you and thinking, oh, there's a little cute little fellow there, maybe such a, a, you know, He's a good one. I think I'll die for him. No. The scripture says, Ephesians 2, that we were objects of God's wrath, anger. What did Jesus do about it, though? He still went through. He acted against how he felt. There was no warm and fuzzy feelings towards us. Christian love, the kind of love that Jesus is is new here, is a kind of love that is a commitment before it's a feeling. It's a commitment even in spite of a feeling. It's unconditional. It's the love that Jesus had for us when he got upon the cross. He looked upon us and saw nothing but vile, filth. But he loved us anyway. He acted on that love. Jesus used our definition of love. Right now, we'd all be on our way to hell and have no hope. In verse 34, he says, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus sums up right here in this one little verse what he expounds on Elsewhere, like in Matthew's Gospel, the parable of the unmerciful servant. I remember that one, where the guy owes ten thousand talents, and the master he begs the master, and the master lets him off the ten thousand talents, and the guy goes out and beats up a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii. Now, it's good to put this into uh, you know contemporary thinking. 10,000, if you go and you calculate how much 10,000 talents is in today's money, we're talking about approximately $7 billion, okay? And this guy's going, I'll pay you back. He's a servant, he's gonna pay that $7 billion, yeah, right. That's the point of the story. It's impossible to pay it back. And he goes out and he beats up a fellow servant who owes him 500 bucks. Now, 500 bucks is 500 bucks, it's not nothing, not 20 cents. But the key, of course, what Jesus is getting is, is the comparison. The only person I can think of in Australian history who's been in trouble to the tune of like when you're talking the billion dollars kind of thing, was back when Alan Bond bought Channel 9 off Kerry Packer among many other things, we're <clears throat> talking in the, you know, billionaires, big billions. And of course, we know the story how Paul Bondi got into all kinds of serious trouble was going under, did a few things to try and save himself. And of course, Kerry Packer was waiting there to buy back Channel line for a song and that's great. Well, what if in that time, Kerry Packer came to Bondi before he went to jail? and said, listen, Bonnie, I'll, I'll, I'll give you 7 billion bucks, you can pay off all your debts, you don't have to go to jail, I'll even give you Executive Driver Channel 9 and everything's free. All right? And Bond, is free. He's not going to jail. After all, it's a, he's, he's debt free and he's not going to jail. And he rocks up the channel line the next morning and sees the cleaner who owes him 500 bucks and starts joking the guy. Give me that money, get him. Beat him up and has him put into prison. Charges the guy to go to prison. And you go, that's nuts. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to get at in that parable that he sums up in our text as... As I have loved you, so love one another. What's he saying? It's the cross. That unmerciful servant parable is all about the cross, the unpayable debt. But what's this 500 bucks? It's what other people owe you. You have people who have sinned against you and it's real sin. 500 bucks is real sin. How can you love a person who's really sinned genuinely against you? And there's no justice. And Jesus is saying the power is not to find, look in the person. Think of someone who sinned against you right now. You know, you can't just feel warm and fuzzy feelings about them and go, you know, I really, I'm got, got to really love them. Work yourself up to that's nonsense. It ain't gonna work. You just imagine yourself with your hands around their neck, you know, as you think about it. The power that you can only find in Christ is to look at the cross, the $7 billion that you've been forgiven, and and then look at this person who's really taken 500 bucks off you and go, what what am I doing worrying about that? Thank you, Lord. Or will you look upon that cross and say, Jesus, just hang up there a bit. Oh, I know you're paying my seven billion dollar debt here, but this guy owes me. I just got to beat up this guy for the five hundred bucks because he's done that against me. And you, you hold up there. I'll get to you in a minute. But thanks for that. But this guy really owes me. It's nuts. All right? And that's all summed up in this one verse of Jesus that says, "As I have loved you." So you must love one another. So you think about the person who sinned against you. Think about the person who hurt you, done wrong. Some of them maybe has made you really angry. Just soak that anger in for one second and say, that is how Jesus felt about me. But what did he do about it? As I... Have loved you, so you must love one another. A new command. There's newness in many ways. The power of the cross and the Holy Spirit. Now, here's Jesus telling us to love one another. That means fellow Christians. So, what about if someone sins against you? And there's people in the church who are not yet saved, this person, you doubt whether they're even a Christian. Does that give you a loophole? Actually, it gives you more responsibility because Jesus goes on in this very text to talk about a journey that people need to complete in faith. Some may be not saved and they're coming to faith or some are, are saved, they're weak. And, then, and you could be playing a part in that. How? Look at verse 35. By this, this love, by this, All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's one of the ways we minister to people, according to what Jesus is saying here. It's one of the ways we testify and witness to others how much we love. And if you withhold love from someone, especially the excuse, well, I don't think they're even Christian, what do I have to bother there for? You could actually be playing a part in stumbling someone's eternal destiny. And people do have their own journey. It's part of the family of God where we really have to love one another to accept that some people are going to have quite a journey still to complete. And if you think about it, putting up with someone and helping them and loving through that situation, how did Jesus treat you? Haven't you had a journey to get to where you are? Haven't you had a, a, a journey both before coming to Christ and even after where you've, you've struggled, you've wandered, you slip, you backslide, you get back up again, you start going, but then you sin again and you're back in. What did Jesus do when you did all that? Well, he crashed you right on the spot, didn't he? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He had mercy and he's brought you along to where you are now. He lets you go through that to strengthen you. That's actually the context of this text because Peter is about to do another big stumble here. He's making his big boast here in verse 37. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. But, of course, we know he's going to turn around and deny Jesus three times, just as Jesus predicts in this very text. He doesn't do what he said. So did Jesus put Peter out of the apostleship? Well, we know, of course, from the very end of this gospel that that the opposite Jesus reinstates him after his repentant he, he strengthens him again. He didn't give up on Peter. So <clears throat> this last command is really about family life, the family of God and we, we are a family. It's uh, like it or not, uh, you can't choose your relatives. But we are, the Christian church is a family. And your local church in particular is where you get close as a family. And if you're having difficulty with some people in the Christian church, well, you better get used to them because you're going to have to spend eternity with them. So get used to it now, you know. It's it's part of, and, and part of that is, that you know if, if we were going to be choosing who would be in the church we'd have all our unsaved friends and relatives in here but it's not your choice it's god's choice god's choice is to the people who are surrounding you in in any church it's god's work and god Chose the weak. Remember that? God chose the weak. What does that mean? It means that in the family of God, you're going to come across people who are weak of faith, maybe miserable and grumbling, maybe difficult to get along with. And God chose the weak and he chose you to be there, to be a witness and by this, they will know that you're a true follower of Jesus and they'll be strengthened if you show love in them, unconditional love that says, look, I'm not getting on too well with the person, but I'm gonna love them anyway. A commitment before it's a feeling. When you think about people who have sinned against you, maybe maybe you can think of someone now here's the test can you say in your heart right now to that can you picture that person and say thank you Jesus for letting me serve you by loving this person can you look me in the face and say thank you Jesus for letting me love you by loving this person because whatever I do to the least of your brothers and sisters I'm doing it to you. Can you look at that person and say, I forgive you, brother or sister? I forgive you. I'm going to love you. Unconditional. No strings attached. Verse 35 By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another <clears throat> i wonder if there's going to be some shocks on the day of judgment for people who think because i serve i'm regular in church and i i give and i have served the lord that somehow that's an excuse to defy jesus last command What did the apostles say? Yeah, you can have the prophecy and the tongues. You can have all of this. And if you haven't got love, you are nothing. Now, there isn't anything less than nothing, okay? I think that's pretty strong language. Can you really, when you think about how you speak about someone, when you think about... How, even how you think about someone and how, the word you speak to people. Are you willing to defy these words, this last verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now just to close, I don't know about you, but when I see the demand of this kind of love, I've failed to do this all the time. I've failed. I haven't loved as I've been loved. What am I going to do? What are you going to do? You have to go back to the $7 billion, to the cross itself. Confess that sin. Repent of it. And keep coming back for a fresh supply. Why? am I always going on about the cross why does it come up in every sermon I ever preach why because that is our salvation but it also the power to live out Jesus final command it is the center of everything in the Christian life Jesus here is taking his disciples onto something new new he wants He's, they already believe, but he's not just going to leave them there. He's actually taking them on to new heights to where places they haven't been before. You know, that's exactly what he wants to do with you and me. He wants to do something new in us, a new command I give you. Love one another as I Have loved you so you must love one another let's pray our father in heaven we we come before you as weak sinners who have failed to love as we've been loved convict our hearts to turn from a critical spirit from a harsh words from Wrong thoughts from not the things we need to do that we haven't been doing, going out our way to love the weak, the sinner, the way you did for us. Help us in this, we pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. More messages of hope at Essendon Presbyterian Church. au or wherever you get your podcasts from.